Jesus, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for your presence in this place. We thank you that your name, as we have sung, is a beautiful name. It is the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Lord, we thank you that no fear can stand up against your name. No sickness, no disease, no oppression, no confusion can stand and compete with the power of your name. So Lord, as we come to your word today, as we are gathered in your name, you are here in the midst. And Lord, I pray that you would take the simple words of my mouth and by your spirit, you would lift heavy hearts. By your spirit, you would bring light where there is darkness. By your spirit, you would bring hope where there is despair. By your Holy Spirit, you would lift those who are bent over with burden. Lord, you would remove the burden from our back. And by your word, like David said, at the entrance of your word, there is light. And Lord, I pray, as your word is read, as your word is spoken, and as you help me to explain it, I pray that there would be freedom in this place. I pray that there would be a greater resolve in the heart, in the spirit, in the mind, to run harder for you, to serve you greater, and to know the joy of your salvation. Lord, I ask it. Your people are beautiful. Your people are wonderful. Your people have gone through so much this week to get here. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're not going to waste this moment. You're not going to waste the minutes that we have together. You've seen what it's taken to get here. You've seen the decisions and the sacrifices and the pains just to get to this place and to praise your name. The Holy Spirit is not going to waste these moments. You're going to comfort us, counsel us, lead us, and help us. You're the helper. So, Lord, with that, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. Why don't you just, whether it's quietly or you lift up your voice, doesn't matter which, why don't you just say thank you. Just say thank you for his presence, for his goodness, for his care, and for that still small voice of his spirit in your life. We thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Wonderful. What a great morning already we're having together. Do you know, when we were singing those words in that one particular song this morning, you turn, you are the, you are the wonder in the wilderness. Jesus is the wonder in the wilderness of life. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. 
no matter what problem or predicament that we face, and we will face them, Jesus will turn the wildness of life, the confusions of life, the questions of life, the uncertainty of life into wonder. He promises to do that. He's faithful to be at our side. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And therefore, at every situation that we are faced with in life, we can have the confidence to know that He is by our side. It's irrelevant how out of control life may be. It's irrelevant how out of control and how you're scrabbling to try and get order. All of that is irrelevant because Jesus is at our side. He is the peace in the storm. He is the light in our darkness. He is the freedom from our prison. He is the hope of, of, of a certain future. And it's irrelevant where we are today, where we stand or what we're going through. And God isn't dissimilar to our troubles. God isn't dissimilar to the pains that we face. God isn't dissimilar and distant like some people would have us believe. No, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never abandons us. People might promise us big promises. And when the pressure's on, you, you won't find them. You'll see the smoke from their feet running in the other direction. But there is one that stands by us that will never leave us or never forsake us. He's always there. The Bible says his name is Jesus and he's actually even closer than a brother. He's wonderful. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. This morning we're going to read from Psalm 34. We've been reading over the weeks from Psalm 84. And we're going to come back a little and we're going to read Psalm 34 in a few moments together. And we're going to read the whole Psalm. And we're going to be blessed by this Psalm. This Psalm, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to put His light on to encourage us. Not to give us a great big exposition of it, but to encourage us to strengthen our hearts as to where we are and what we are going through. God knows where we are. Each one of us. He knows what we are going through. And Faye said, you may be having a great sunshine day today. You may have been having a great sunshine year. That's fantastic. We rejoice with that. We rejoice with those who rejoice. But we also weep with those that weep. And it doesn't matter where we are or what we're going through. There's a word for our lives that God wants to feed us with. To give us strength. To give us hope. To give us encouragement for the road ahead. Psalm 34. It's almost like a diary entry into David's life. David had a whole host of diary entries. You find many of them in the book of Psalms. And this is one of the pages of David's life. His approach 
to the surroundings in which he finds himself in. His response to uncertainty and darkness. His unrelenting spirit that will not give up in tremendous pressuring times. He says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. And delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. And this, this fear that David is talking about is not, you know... This terrible, traumatic feeling of one who is greater than you, who wants to crush you under his heel. This fear that David is talking about is having such a wonderful understanding of God, of his power, of his infiniteness, of his almightiness. And actually reverently respecting him and knowing exactly in whose presence we stand. Fear the Lord. You, his saints, my God, the presence in whom we we stand in the presence of God today. That's not a casual thing for any of us, I'm sure. We've seen it with our own eyes, the miracles that he's done. We've heard testimony after testimony in this place of all of the great things that the Lord has done. How can we not reverence him? How can we ever just walk? casually through life as if you know he's there one minute and not another no we have an understanding and from that understanding and from what we've seen and experienced and what we've tasted of him there's a reverence among us taste and see that the lord is good he says blessed is the man who trusts in him oh fear the lord you his saints There is no want for those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out. And the Lord hears. And delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. 
evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. I think we should give Jesus a round of his applause for his word. Not the word of man, but the word of God. The word of God. Now, the amazing thing about this psalm is not just what is written. The amazing thing about this psalm is not just in what we have read this morning, in what we have heard. But the incredible thing about this psalm is not just what was written, but where it was written and by who it was written. Where was this psalm written? He starts by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, when I was thinking about this psalm this morning, my mind went back to a time when I was doing a correspondence course. And I, at the start, usually of any correspondence course, there's guidance notes. And as I, you know, excitedly unpacked this correspondence course, I read the guidance notes. And I was looking through the guidance notes and reading them. And then in big, bold letters, it said, if you are going to study, if you are going to learn, you need to find an environment that's conducive for study. You need to find an environment without interruption. You need to find an environment that is quiet, that is still, that is calm. A place where you can focus your mind. A learning environment so that you can be educated. Do you know when I look at the life of David and I look at his learning environment... When I look at the classroom that he came through to write his words. When I look through the Psalms. And I look at David. And, and you, you see him pouring these Psalms endlessly out of his heart. And you begin to look at the environment that he was exposed to. You don't find an environment that was free from interruption. You don't find an, an environment that was free from disruption. He was interrupted, he was disrupted, he was in constant trouble, he was running for his life. He talks about going into a place like a pit. He, he finds himself like, like, like a bird trying to escape that's caught in a snare. You find all of these descriptions in David's writings, in David's diary of life. And not one of them was from a place where he was in like a study-like experience behind a desk in a quiet place, learning and listening in a conducive environment like those guidance notes. In fact, if David had had the guidance notes that I had, I don't think we would have ever been able to read any of the Psalms. And today... We need to be encouraged. You see, because God doesn't need any one of us to go off 
and follow some kind of monastic code in silence to try and find him. No, it's in the rawness of life. It's in the rugged terrain of circumstance. It's when trouble hits, that's when you're going to find him. It's, it's when there's confusion and darkness and brokenness and you don't know what to do anymore and you're down on your knees and you're crying for your life. That's when you're going to find him. In the test, there's a testimony and that's where... That's where David wrote his psalms, his songs. Do you know, I remember one day, Pastor Ray had asked me to preach. And I thought, you know, man, he'd always give me lots of time because I needed it. (laughs) And um, I thought, man, do you know what? I've got to go and seek God. I'm going to get up. At six o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to get a word from God. And this word is going to be fantastic. It's going to be awesome. So I woke up. It was a cold winter's morning. I took that. It was lovely in bed, cutching up to Faye. She was snoring. I never snore. I got out of bed. It was freezing. No, no heating on. I ran downstairs. I thought, you know what? I've got a sacrifice for the Lord. And then I, got, I went into the room. I got down on my knees. And I started praying. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, give me your word, Lord. You know all the stuff you pray. Give me your word, Lord. You know I've got to preach. You know Pastor Ray's asked me to preach to the church. I need a word. Nothing. Nothing. The only presence I felt was the presence of Frost. Oh, old Jack Frost was in the room, boy. Presence of God wasn't there. I was shivering, chattering my teeth, trying to pray. Oh, Jesus, give me a word. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, after I'd complained to him, come on, speak up. I need your help. He said, what are you doing down here? That was not a response that I thought God would give me. You see, I thought you needed to meet God in silence. I thought you need, I, for me anyway, I thought I needed to meet God in a place where there's no distraction, no interruption. I thought I needed to meet God on, on my knees at six o'clock in the morning. No, I met Jack Frost, not, not God. He said, what are you doing down here? I said, Lord, I'm trying to get a word from you. He said, well, I'm not going to speak to you. It was this kind of dialogue that I was having with God. I'm not going to speak to you down here. I haven't told you to come down here. I'm not going to meet you here. I haven't told you to come here. I'll meet you when I'm good and ready. So anyway, he said, go back up to bed. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus said, go out into the world. But I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost that morning said, go back up to bed. (laughs) Up to bed I went. I jumped up. I cutched up to Faye. Went to sleep. And then, days later, we are having tea. And we got the kids around the table. And I'm telling you now, it was like World War III. 
If you've ever seen, maybe not now, right? But when they were younger, you know, experimenting with food, pasting it all over the table, up here, you know, in the hair. It was, it was just chaos. And, you know, you've got mum and dad trying to, trying to go for it and you don't do it that way and that's not the way. If you ever go around to somebody's house, they're going to see that you've got bad manners and you're never going to be invited back. And it's not the way to do it. We try not to bring you up like that. And you've got all of that going on. And then suddenly, I'm, go- I'm going for it with the kids, full on, giving them it, right? And then suddenly the Lord starts speaking. And he starts giving me this message for church. And I'm thinking, I'm having, I'm having three conversations at once. One with the Lord, one with Faye, and the other one with the kids. And I'm, I'm thinking, my goodness, what's going on here? There's so many distractions. There's so many interruptions. There's so many reasons why you wouldn't talk to me right now. But here you are talking to me when everything's confusing and chaotic and messy. And you know what? It was only a simple message, but he gave me it. He gave me it. And what I've learned might not be much, right? But the little I have learned is that you just got to be open wherever you are. Now that may be down on your knees, quiet, by your bed. That's absolutely fine because that's the way in which he may have led you. But I tell you now, he will not speak to me like that. And I said to him, I said, Lord, why won't you speak to me like that? He said, well, why did you do it? Why did you go down at six o'clock in the morning and get on your knees and, and try to approach me that way? And then it started to come to me all of the reasons why I did. Because of all of the previous books that I'd read about men that had met God that way. And I thought that I might meet God that way. But God had another design, a more simpler one, a far better one just for me. Now David, David is writing this psalm. And when you just look at it on face value, you would think, by, just by the opening line, you would think, man, this guy is at his peak I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. You would think that this guy has got everything sorted in his life. You would think that this guy is running full on at full strength, all engines firing. You would think that this guy is at his peak. You look through the Bible, you see many great moments in David's life. One of the greatest ones that we all know him for is when he stood before Goliath. Right? Little kid from the backside of the desert, a shepherd boy. He's simply just taking his packed lunch to his, his seven brothers that are at the front. They had already been trained in war. They'd gone through their military schooling. They'd already gone through their training. And they were at the battle. David was in his father's house away from it all and his dad Jesse tells him one day to go and take the packed lunch for the boys that were really doing something for the nation. David turns up, he's, 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 he's got his dirty work clothes on and you know you've got to realize because it's good to understand 
Do you know what? Being a shepherd was the most despised, the most despised dysfunctional vocation that any person could have. You know, there weren't people queuing up, please, can I be a shepherd? Please, can I follow that course of career? No, you had to really be a dropout. You had to be a big dropout to be a shepherd. And here the kid comes. I tell you what, you couldn't make it up. You could not make it up. Here he comes, his little shopping bag, and he's got the boys' lunch in there, and all of a sudden, he comes into this whole chaotic environment. Interruption, distraction, confusion, darkness, everything is going on. There's been a 40-day standoff between the Israelites and the Philistines, and every single day, a giant had stood up and defied the armies of God, and it sent the men that were strong, it sent the men that were dressed for battle in flight. They feared for their lives. They ran away at this terrible sight of a man. And he defied them. And it was, a, it, was, it was a standoff between these two nations. And the Philistines were taunting the people of God. And there was no voice among them. And up turns this little boy with his packed lunch. Looking, looking like he'd just been dropped off another planet. Do you know what? Pastor Ray told me a story that just reminds me of this whole event. Many years ago now, he went to Australia. And there was a, there was a group of men and there was, a, there was a huge revival. A huge awakening in stadiums happening with young people. And these men were, 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 were gifted and powerful and strong and had great ability and God sent Pastor Ray, and he turned up, and he said, I, he said, Dave, I walked into the room, I had a mullet of hair, he said, I had a leather jacket on, and he said, bell bottoms, and he said, when I walked in, all of the men turned round and burst out laughing. How about that for a welcome? How about that for a welcome? Everybody burst out laughing, because they couldn't believe how he looked. Let me tell you, friends, it doesn't matter how you look, because Samuel had told David and told, actually Samuel had told, uh, God had told Samuel in Jesse's house, I do not look at the outside of a man, I look at the inside. And that's why the anointing went on David's head and not on his other seven brothers. The first brother that stood before Samuel, Samuel said, surely this is the Lord's anointing. He was looking at all of the externals and all of the reasons why this man should be anointed as king. He went through the entire seven. There was nobody left until they called the dirty little kid that was tending sheep in the backside of the desert that hadn't been invited to the party with the prophet. They get him in. He looks a mess, but the Lord's chosen him. And the, the, the veil of oil goes over his head and he's anointed as king. He turns up. And even as the anointed man... David's still wearing his clothes. He doesn't think I'm the man. 
I've been anointed by the prophet. I'll go in there. No, just humbly carrying some sandwiches. Humbly just doing what, what God's called him to do. So anyway, after these guys in Australia pick themselves up the, off, off the floor, he gets a little slot with only 40 people, Ray, wasn't it? 40 people in a dinner room. The back end of the conference, really. He opens his Bible. And what was the one word you said, Ray? You just said, Lord, didn't you? Yeah. Ray just said, anoint us. Everybody in the room were on their face, on their backs, and he was too for the next 40 minutes. You see, it's not what you're wearing. And it's not what people think. It's what God has declared. It's what God has said about your life. About your life. So anyway, he, he got his shepherd's clothes on. Everybody is suited and booted around him. They look brilliant. They look awesome. It's wonderful. And yet they're terrified, gripped by fear. David hears the taunt of this giant. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is he? Who does he think he is? And he gets told off. You don't talk like that around here. You don't say that. And before he knows it, God had made preparations and he, be, he positions him right in front, right in front of Goliath. He takes a simple stone and with one stone, the rest is history. That giant is on the floor and off comes his head. And Israel, that day, has an incredible victory. David is catapulted to national hero status. They begin to say about David, Saul has killed his thousands, but this young kid, David, has killed his tens of thousands. And he's catapulted into the limelight. I would have thought that this would have been the occasion for Psalm 34 to have been written. I would have thought, if it was left to me, I would have thought, do you know what? David would have written Psalm 34 on his greatest moment of victory, on the highest point of his life. When he slew Goliath, it would have been easy to say, oh, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I've slain Goliath. I've slain and I've been victorious over the Philistines. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It would have been easy to have written and penned these words on that day. It would have been easy. But David didn't write these words that we read about in Psalm 34 on that particular day. David actually wrote them 18 years later from that moment when 
Goliath had long gone. He'd had to face many giants far bigger than Goliath over the 18 years after defeating the Philistines. He'd had to face the giant of rejection, the giant of exile, the giant of abandonment, the giant of hunger, the giant of loneliness, the giant of confusion. And in the midst of all of the chaos of his life, David pens the words that we have read today. You see, it's not just what was written, it's where it was written. When you understand where it was written, you begin to discover the secrets of his life. You begin to understand that God doesn't need a perfect environment for us to praise him in. God doesn't need a perfect environment free from fear, free from trouble, free from circumstance for us to find him in. Some of the richest revelations that we get are not in an environment behind a desk that's conducive for study, but some of the richest environment, some of the richest environments that we can have in is ones we wouldn't choose. David, after he had defeated Goliath, serves King Saul just wants to minister to him, just wants to help him. The king's troubled and he just sees an opportunity to be a blessing. But Saul, he's struggling with David. He's got a problem with jealousy. He's got a problem with envy. And hey, listen, we can all have problems with jealousy and envy. The, we, we, we all know the, the pain of being jealous and, and, and envious of somebody else. We've all been there. I certainly have. But this, this jealous spirit had so got hold of Saul that he just wanted to kill David. He wanted to kill him. So he sent him off. And, he, and, and it's quite an unusual request, really. He sent him off to, to uh, fight, I think it was some Philistines. And he said, listen... Go and get me all the foreskins of the Philistines. I tell you what, what a job. I wouldn't fancy that job. No. And to make matters worse, they didn't have showers. They didn't have baths. I mean, the stench of it was terrible. Listen. Foreskins. You've got to go and get all the foreskins of the Philistines. Do you know what? The, 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 even funnier, even funnier than the request, David came back with 300 foreskins. There you go. I, I mean, I can just see it in my head, him just throwing them on the table. There you go, Saul. There's the evidence. You wanted it. I mean, the Bible is such a, it's such a rude book. Such a real book. I tell you now, it's not religious in any way. No way, man. He just threw those foreskins on. The, and there you go. And you know what Saul did? He gave him his daughter. You know, you can imagine it, can't you? As, as they go down the road of life as a married couple. Well, why did Saul give you to David? Well, because he brought my dad 300 foreskins. It's awesome. Look at it. Isn't it? It's fantastic. 300 foreskins did it. 
David put the 300 foreskins on the table. But that wouldn't even satisfy the anger and the jealousy of Saul. Oh man, he, he went and he wanted, in the end he threw a spear at David and he tried to kill him. And David thought, you know what, I got to get out of here. And he starts running for his life. Hot on his heels is King Saul, an army, a, 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 a chasing David out of the land. This, this guy just tried to help the, 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 the people that he loved. He just tried to build the nation that was breaking apart. And now suddenly, hot on his heels is King Saul. And, and he's ousting him out of the very nation that he loved. I wonder what David thought. It's only a simple shepherd boy. Running for his life. He runs through open wilderness. He runs and hides in a cave. Adullam's cave. But now, it's not for a month, for two months. It's year after year after year after year. Unrelenting pain. Unrelenting circumstance. It, there's interruption after interruption. He's living from hand to mouth. He doesn't know where he's going to lay his head next. The future is completely dark, completely bleak, completely uncertain. And here, in the midst of this darkness, you see the resilience and the tenacity of a shepherd boy. You see the power of his spirit. And he says, I will. I will bless the Lord at all times. It's irrelevant what's going around me. It's irrelevant the trouble and the, and the, and the traumas that I face. It's, it's irrelevant what people are saying about me and the accusations that are flying about. David didn't have a name anymore. Nobody wanted to be with him. And yet, he had determined to praise God. To praise God. He actually wrote this. Psalm 34. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. He wrote this. When he was actually. In the land of the Philistines. Saul had chased him so hard. That he actually had to cross the border. And he runs into. And it, it's, it's a surreal situation. It almost goes full circle. For David. It's the oddest time. He finds himself in the city of Gath. Goliath, the giant that he had slain years before, was from Gath. That's where he was from. The very giant that David had killed. And now he's in here. Public enemy number one in Israel certainly public enemy number one in the land of the Philistines and he's in Gath oh God and he has to feign madness he begins to act like a madman he's dribbling because they bring him before King Akesh and they want to know what's going on why have you come here and there's a conspiracy around it and David is, is, is fearing for his life. Real circumstances pressing about him. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? I'm in the hands of the Philistines. I'm in the city of the giant that I slew. Everybody knows me for all the wrong reasons. And he's before Akesh. And this anointed man 
This man of greatness, this man of stature, this man of character, this man that wrote all of the Psalms that you hold in your hand when you look at your Bible, this man was humiliated to feign madness before a king that thought he had him in his hand. And he's spitting like a madman and feigning madness and Akesh allows him to go and live in a place on the outskirts of the Philistines. And he allows his life to be extended. It's in this that David, David writes his psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth, he says to his men. He must have said to his men who didn't know sometimes the direction that they were taking, didn't know the situations that they were finding themselves in. Boys, the compass is spinning. I don't know what way to turn. But listen, what we've got to do in this situation, in this dark time, in this cave, we've got to magnify the Lord. There's so many things, so many voices, so many distractions that are pulling on us. So many confusing ways before us. But do you know what? When we don't know what to do, we've got to magnify the Lord. We've got to exalt His name together. And as a result of it, David says in the psalm, he says, Those that look to you are radiant. They're radiant. And they experienced, I believe. That radiance of God in the dark hour, in the trouble. That radiance and that buoyancy to stay up, to stay strong. It was in this that Psalm 34 was written. In this time, David's in a cave. King Saul comes into the cave to go to the toilet. And David's hiding in the cave and he's watching. And David could have took the life of the king right there. The king that was trying to kill him. The king that was hell-bent. David could have destroyed him. Easily. And he cuts an edge of his cloak off. And when King Saul was far away... David shows him. He says, don't you realize you are in my hand? But he would not touch the Lord's anointed. And actually, David talks about, I believe, that moment in this psalm. In this psalm. How he approached his enemy. How he approached the one that was trying to take him down. How he approached how he approached a man that had no reason to be so cruel, so unkind, no reason to be so wicked and so evil, no reason to say what he said. David shows us his approach. Let me, let me read it to you and we'll finish. Why didn't David kill Saul? 
when he had opportunity in the cave. Could have taken him out. Could have reduced that exilic period of his life by many years just by dealing with Saul in that moment. Just getting rid of him. Why didn't he do it? Because David knew that life and its fullness does not come that way. He says this. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that may see good? That he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. David had Saul within his reach and yet he refused to touch this evil, wicked, nasty king. Why? Because he knew that in order to retain his life, in order to pursue life in all of its fullness, he had decided to keep his lips from evil and depart from it. You know, maybe today things have happened. Maybe today we're in situations that we think, Oh God, I'm just finding it so hard to go on to praise you. Well, do you know what? We can receive encouragement from this psalm. David says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. We're going to taste and see the goodness of God in our crisis. We're going to taste and see the blessing of God in the pain and the hurt. When we cry out, when the righteous cry out, he says the Lord hears them and delivers them from all of their fears. Amen. Let's close our eyes a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Lord, I thank you for your precious people today. Lord, I thank you. Oh God, you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, I thank you. Like David said, you are so close to the brokenhearted. People may have run away and deserted you. People may have scorned you. People may have trod you underfoot, but not the Lord. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord gives strength to the contrite in spirit. So Lord, I pray, Lord, for everybody today, I pray, God, that your word would be a light unto their feet, a lamp unto the path ahead of them. In Jesus' name I ask it for your glory.